Registration is now open on What's Your Name's Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off-the-beaten-track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatsyournamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there. This episode was sponsored by Girls Can Crate, a subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Real women make the best heroes, and every month they deliver them to your front door. Hi, Katie. Hi, Olivia. I need you to take off your historian hat for a minute. Okay. And put on... A regular person hat. <laughs> Let's just pretend that you don't know all the things that you know. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so, wearing your regular person hat. Yes, it's very stylish. Yes, it's charming. Thank you. I, I want you to picture a Civil War battlefield. Okay. Got it. What does it look like? Who's there? Who's fighting? So there's... You know, Gatling guns on these giant wheels up on the hillside, and there's mist. You're already too historian hat. <laughs> <laughs> there's big things on wheels, and <laughs> there's mist, and there's people in blue, and people in gray, and Abraham Lincoln is there, and <laughs> they've got bayonets on their rifles. And, I mean, really, what I'm picturing is the movie Glory. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so then, these people in blue and gray, what do they look like? Um, well, they're men, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and since I'm picturing the movie Glory, Denzel Washington is, you know, front and center. And they've got mustaches, most of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, they're mostly white. Yeah, mostly but, white, except for... But there's some black yeah. men there. Yeah, fighting for the Union. Uh-huh. Okay. And where is this battlefield? Well, it's Gettysburg, obviously. Oh, even right. though so Denzel Washington wasn't at Gettysburg. But yeah. you say Civil War battlefield, and I picture a gun on the hill at Gettysburg for some reason. Hmm. Okay, so we've got a battlefield on the coast. Yeah. And we've got mostly white men, a few black men. Right. And... That's what the Civil War is, really. Oh, yeah. That's what the yeah. Civil War is. So, uh, we've talked in this podcast, I think, about the problem of the single story. Uh -huh. right? That we have one story right. about things. So, I would say, just in that little vignette, you've given us a couple of stories. We have the northern story. We have Abraham Lincoln and the guys in blue. Yeah. And then we have the guys with the mustaches right. fighting for the South. Uh-huh. We, so we have those two, but now we've added the extra story of the black men also involved right. in the Civil War. Yes. Good for us. Uh-huh. <laughs> but there were so many more people involved <laughs> in and affected by the Civil War. Were there? I'm there shocked. There were. <laughs> I'm Olivia Mickle. And I'm Katie Nelson. And this is What's Her Name? Fascinating women you've never heard of. We're going to move, first of all, far away from the coast. Oh. 
to a place where I personally have never thought about the Civil War happening. Oh, okay. So to set the scene, Mm -hmm. we are going to go to Cherokee Territory in modern-day Oklahoma. Okay. And we're going to learn a little bit about how the Civil War affected the Cherokee Nation in order to understand the woman that we're going to meet. Okay. But we're going to do this backwards. So first, we're going to meet our guest. Margaret Verbal is a novelist, and she is also an enrolled citizen of the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma. Her first novel, Maud's Line, was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. Hmm. Her new book is set in the old Cherokee Nation West, and it's this amazing multi-generational saga that tells the story of this entire community in the decades after the Civil War. Mm. So first, we need to track down where this story begins. In order to understand how the Civil War affected the Cherokee Nation and Cherokee Territory, we need to understand how the Cherokee get to Indian Territory at all. I think most of us who grew up in the U.S. hopefully know the story of the Trail of Tears Mm -hmm. and the forced removal of the Cherokee Nation from their lands Mm -hmm. to the lands designated as Cherokee Territory and the infamous horrific... right forced march across the nation where thousands of Cherokee people died. Yeah. The Cherokees had been removed to Oklahoma in 1838. As soon as they got there, they started doing things like building schools and farming and having a newspaper and and establishing, reestablishing their government. And they had gotten all that up and running and were prosperous and more prosperous than the white people in surrounding states. And then the Civil War broke out, and the first thing that President Lincoln did was that he withdrew the troops from Fort Gibson and from the other forts out there Mm -hmm. to take them back east to fight. Well, this was a problem for the Cherokees because the army was out there to protect them from the Osage. So... This caused a great deal of bitterness in the Cherokee Nation, and the removal money was held in southern banks. So they had two primary reasons. One, they'd been betrayed by the U.S. government, and two, the southern bank situation. They had two reasons really to side with the South, and a small group of Cherokees also owned slaves. Mm. But... Those factors caused the Cherokee Nation first to side with the with the North and then side with the South. This things, uh, you know, the implications of of the betrayal of by Lincoln and and other things became clear. And so, and the other southeastern tribes who'd been removed did the same thing. Then, some Cherokee especially the leader of the most famous military unit from the Cherokee Nation, John Drew, are eventually persuaded that they are on the wrong side and that they should be fighting with the Union. And so Drew and Chief Ross appeal to Abraham Lincoln to fight with the Union once again, which he grants. So even within the Cherokee Nation itself, there's this divide and this confusion about which side will best safeguard Cherokee interests and which side the nation should be supporting. So 
As confusing and contradictory and stressful as all of this must have been, mm -hmm. even more devastating is the fact that the war is going back and forth across Cherokee land. Mm. Everything out there was just destroyed. It, the farms were burned, the crops were ruined. It was just a wasteland. It was just desolate. So, mm. and in fact, uh, the desolation was so great that I think, and, and I'm not alone, that the Civil War was harder on the Cherokee Indians than it, the Trail of Tears was. Mm. And so they had to rebuild all, rebuild everything again. So after the Civil War, the United States imposed treaties on these Indians, the treaties of 1866. Mm -hmm. And essentially what they did was that they used those treaties and used the fact that the Indians had settled with the South in order to take more Indian land away from them. And this caused pretty extreme bitterness in the Cherokee Nation. You don't think of the Civil War as happening all over Oklahoma. Exactly. I think we have decided where it happened and we yeah. think about it as over there. Mm -hmm. It had never occurred to me to think about how Native nations would have been affected by this conflict, which is ridiculous mm -hmm. because, of course, they were. It's so hard to rebuild from this, right? You mm. have already poured all your resources into rebuilding once already. Mm -hmm. And now it's all gone again. And of course, none of the reconstruction dollars that the South is seeing are coming to the Cherokee Nation. So it's in this moment, in 1876, 10 years after the end of the war, when the Cherokee Nation is still very much rebuilding and trying to recover from this experience, that we meet the woman we're talking about. Okay. Her name is Cherokee America Rogers. What? Best name ever. Cherokee America Rogers. Yes. Wow. That is the best name ever. Isn't it fantastic? Yes. And it is because her name is so fantastic that Margaret Verbal found her. Oh. I found Cherokee America in a graveyard. And I was visiting my grandfather's grave, and I came across this uh, large, dark marble stone that looked like it was, didn't look like the other stones in that graveyard. It, it looked like it belonged to someone who had a lot of money, or who hmm. had had a lot of money in, in life. And I walked toward it, and I found a husband and wife uh, buried there. And the wife's name was Cherokee America Rogers. And I was just taken by that name. I thought, what a fabulous name this is. And I do this too. I would admit, I, I troll graveyards for names for mm. my writing because mm. there's, there's just so many great combinations that I could never come up with when yeah. you find these names in the graveyard. And so being a writer, of course, she was struck with this and thought, oh, filing that away, yeah, that's the perfect name. So at night, that night, I went home to uh, my grandmother's farm, and it was, she and I were alone. We were in the kitchen and uh, eating dinner, and I told her she knew, of course, I'd been to see Grande's grave. Hmm. And I told her that while I was there, I had come across this fabulous name on this gravestone and 
told her it was Cherokee America Rogers. And she laughed, and she said, well, you found Aunt Chuck. And I was amazed. I said, you knew her? She said, oh, yes, yes, she did know her. And then she told me this story. She said that when her father and her uncle first came to Indian Territory uh, as orphans of the Civil War, that Mrs. Rogers took them in. And they didn't have anything. They'd lost their parents. They'd lost any inheritance they might have had, uh, any property they might have had. They were just really destitute, looking for a new life. Mm -hmm. And she took them in and employed them. And they married Indian women and, you know, became successful farmers and raised large families. And so uh, Cherokee America really gave them lives. And my grandmother was very grateful to her and felt uh, very warmly toward her, even though she had been dead for decades by the time she and I had that conversation. So this character becomes the inspiration for this character in your new novel. Yes. Um, But I'm really fascinated with how uh, how much do we actually know about her life? We don't have a lot of sources about her actual life. Yesterday, I spoke with her step-great-granddaughter, who does not have any children and is the last remaining uh, person, I think, that is associated with her. And she, she has a picture of this woman and is going to try to find it for me. She's 90 years old, and uh, the picture is somewhere in a box, and I'm hoping she can find (laughs) it. Mm. And there's a firsthand account of her that's written that says that she was a small woman, that she had an extraordinarily forceful personality, Mm. and that uh, she often got her way. Uh, and that she she really ruled over a large family, and but was well loved. That every that everybody called her Aunt Check, whether she wanted them to or not. <laughs> and and because she always went around uh, doing good deeds, and she was sort of a, a, a doctor. And hmm. she would somebody get sick, and she'd make up a concoction or something, and go out uh, in her buggy and um, administer some medicine to them, and had with a surprisingly good results. Hmm. My grandmother knew her, and I still have a living relative who knew her son, Connell Rogers, or Connell Singer, in the book, hmm. and he features both in Cherokee America and. In my first novel, Maud's Line, he's an old man hmm. in Maud's Line and a young man in Cherokee America. Which just such a reminder of how fresh the Civil War really is, mm-hmm. that we are not that far removed from what seemed as a kid to me like ancient history. Let's pause for just a second to thank our sponsor, Girls Can Crate. Girls Can Crate is an awesome subscription box that introduces girls age 5 to 10 to real, fearless women who made the world better. Every crate features an inspiring woman, a 28-page activity book, 
plus everything you would need to complete two or three hands-on STEAM activities and more. And if you're on a budget, they have mini crates too. Real women make the best heroes, and every month, Girls Can Crate delivers them. For What's Her Name podcast listeners, we have a special discount code for you. You'll get 20% off your first month's crate, any subscription that you order. Girls Can Crate, C-R-A-T-E dot com, and use the code HERNAME to get 20% off. Just from the few stories told about her, we can get a pretty comprehensive picture of her character. Hmm. Cherokee America Rogers was a very small woman, which is unusual because Cherokee people are generally very tall. Oh. But in that very small woman was an extraordinarily forceful personality. Aunt Check was running a huge potato farm in Cherokee territory and employing tons of people, had one of the most productive and well-respected farms, and was a very important figure in Cherokee territory. You'd have to be a pretty forceful personality to run a huge farm like that. Well, I think there are two or three things that feature in that. One is that she was widowed, and Mm -hmm. she was left with eight children and a very large farm. So she didn't have much choice. She had to be strong. Yeah. Also, she came from a very prominent family in in the Cherokee tribe. The men in her family have been well written about. Her father was Gideon Morgan, who led the Cherokees against the Creeks at the Battle of Horseshoe Bend in 1814, won that battle for Andrew Jackson. Her great uncle was Chief Lowry, who was so influential that when Sequoia was trying to get his syllabary adopted by the Cherokees, it was Chief Lowry that made that possible. Her great-grandfather was John Severe, the first governor of Tennessee. Her grandfather was Joseph Severe, who was a Revolutionary War hero. So she comes on both sides of her family from very strong and very bright people. And the third thing that would contribute to her dominance and her her forceful personality is that the Cherokee Nation is matriarchal and matrilineal. So at this time, Cherokee women have way more freedom, way more education, and a lot more rights than white women in the U.S. would have had. Yeah. They own property, they inherit property, they are fully in charge of their own lives and their own decisions, Mm. and there's no expectation of submission to men. Wow. Cherokee America lived in the upper echelons of Cherokee society. There were other women like her, uh, Alabama Bushyhead, for instance, who is a character in the book. Another wonderful name. Yes, it is. She went by Elizabeth, but Alabama really was her name. Hmm. And there was a whole group of these women who dressed as white women, which at the time, of course, was Victorian garb. You know, they they were smart, they were literate, they had been educated, and they were used to power. My guess is, and I'm only guessing here, we don't we don't know. She felt that it was her obligation as someone with resources hmm. to minister to people 
who didn't have a lot of resources, and she was surrounded by people who were less fortunate than she. And the Cherokee, Cherokee society is, is a lot different in many respects from the, the world that, that I live in on an everyday basis, and I suspect that you live in. There's a, there's a mm-hmm. deep sense of community. Mm-hmm. that you just, and, and it's in the Cherokee Nation today. Uh, you can see it everywhere in the Cherokee Nation, and it's not other places, a lot of other places. And there's a deep sense of, uh, you know, we're all in this together. We have to care for each other. And so that would be a value that she would be carrying inside her and would have carried inside her. She wouldn't know any other way to operate in the world. So I just love this idea that there are so many new stories that we have never even thought about, let alone heard. But what I love the most about the story of Cherokee America Rogers is how her story complicates all of our generally accepted narratives of this time about the West, about what U.S. history actually is, what the Civil War was, what Indian territory looked like. She's an Indian who dresses like a Victorian. Girls on the Cherokee Nation are getting a high school and sometimes college education when most girls in the country are barely finishing elementary school. Mm. And the legacy going forward of these relationships that Aunt Check's gravestone is the most prominent one in the cemetery, and that triggers this new story and this new understanding and this new work of art, the new voice from the same place. Well, the novel is set in 1876. It is about the entire community around her. And I think, I think when you're writing about Indians that... It's important to write about the community because that's the way Native Americans see themselves as embedded in a group of relationships. That's, that's the way they are in the world, uh, not as lone people who are out to make, you know, make a mark for themselves. They, that is is really frowned upon in many mm. respects by Native Americans. Uh, it's the deep sense of community and relationship and kinship that is important in their communities that it's really very difficult to write about Indians unless you do that. But I think that's it. I think that's a very important thing, and that's something that I was trying to do because just to write about a single person alone, if they're a Native American, that is a misrepresentation of who they are. Uh, That's what I find the most interesting about this story, is that from this one gravestone and just a name, Margaret Verbal uncovers the life of this amazing woman Hmm. and then turns that into this amazing piece of fiction that, though it doesn't correspond to the exact details Cherokee America Rogers's life uh-huh. that by creating Cherokee America singer Margaret Verbal taps into this vein of truth 
mm. that even though it's fiction, it's more true. Yeah. That it captures all of the the zeitgeist. Oh yeah. Of <laughs> of the time and and really what it was like to live in Cherokee territory at this time yeah. as a woman. The experience of Cherokee women at this time, the experience of the mm-hmm. Cherokee community mm-hmm. and the interactions between all of the people in that community and the wider community around it of white settlers. Yeah, that's one of the beauties of historical fiction that you can draw in all kinds of different strands of the human experience and tell them in one single story. Just because they didn't all happen to one person doesn't mean that they didn't happen. Yeah, and I think it partially because she's such a brilliant writer, but also just in the way that it brings all of these stories into one communal story Mm -hmm. really opens up, for me, a way that I had not had access to thinking about this time Mm. period and this place. Mm. So I really, I highly recommend the book. It's amazing. Cool. Huge thanks to our guest, Margaret Verbal, whose books, Cherokee America and Mod's Line, are available wherever books are sold and on our website at whatshernamepodcast.com. Thanks also to our Patreon sponsors for this episode, Chantel Oliver, Catherine McKay, and Jesse Bray Sharpen. If you'd like to become a patron, visit our website at whatshernamepodcast.com and click Donate. There, patrons can choose from a variety of great prizes and thank yous, including a shout-out in a future episode. Research support for this episode was provided by the Cherokee Nation, the Pea Ridge National Military Park Center, and Indian Country Today. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post lots of photos each week. Music for this episode was provided by the Cherokee National Youth Choir, Mark Nelson, and Andy Reiner, and the River of Suck podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Foster Smith. What's Her Name is produced by Olivia Mickle and Katie Nelson, and this episode was edited by Olivia Mickle.